How are you today? Doing okay? Good. Good, good, good. Hey, my name is Chris. We haven't met each other. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. We're going to start there. If you're joining us for the first time, we just especially want you to feel right at home. We're thrilled that you joined us. Um, for, the, for the next couple of weeks, I would just want to address a couple things. Um, just a couple, couple, couple things that I've heard recently, some ideas that are kind of distinctly not kingdom ideas that seem to be kind of showing up more in the, in the Christian culture. So I just want, I just want to talk about them. <clears throat> just want to work through them a little bit so that if you kind of hear these things popping up, you can understand why they're coming around and be like, no, that's, that's trash. That's not the way of Jesus, okay? So, so let's jump in. Matthew 23, first verse, says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. So it means they sit in, this, in a place of authority. Therefore, do whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. Here's what they do. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Then he goes into a couple of examples of that. But then in verse 13, he says, woe to you. And it's woe, like W-O-E. Like, things aren't looking good, as opposed to, like, whoa, like Joey Lawrence. Whoa, that's it. <laughs> I was going to do it, but you did it. That's good. So up front, we kind of want to make that clear. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you. And the reason is verse 4. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. He's saying that these religious leaders, they load people down with heavy, burdensome loads. They just give people the hardest things to carry. And they don't, they don't even lift a finger to help them. And it makes Jesus pretty upset. Right? This is not polite Jesus. This is not like airbrushed, handsome Jesus with the feathered hair on the pamphlet. This is like cranked up Jesus. Woe to you. And woe to you is a warning. You leaders... You load people down with burdens and you don't do a thing to help them. So this morning, I want to explore why does this make Jesus so upset? And then what does that mean? What's he mean by heavy? Or better yet, what's not heavy? What's the, things, what's the thing his teachings do? And then we'll work through what that means for us. So for a bit of background on this, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, I think, gives great insight into what Jesus was doing when he announces this new reality of the kingdom of God. We talked about this before, but whenever you see the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, this is a way of speaking of the reality of God. This is the rule and the reign of God. This is God breaking into our realm, this realm. And so when Jesus speaks to this, he's essentially saying, there's a new thing God is doing, and it looks like this. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, is like treasure buried in a field. So the, the new reality of God is like a, like a treasure. It's something you want more than anything. It's like a treasure buried in the field that a man found and reburied, then in his joy. So it's, it's a treasure that you want more than anything because it brings you such great joy. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Jesus' message and announcement is that the reality of God is here now in our midst, and it's something that you want more than anything. It fills you with joy, and you'll do anything to get at it, to be a part of it, to enter into it. 
Notice verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of God is like somebody who's on a search for the most valuable thing imaginable. And when they found it, they went away and nothing they had compared to this new thing they found. So whether it's something somebody stumbled upon, something that surprised them out of nowhere, or something they found, something that found them, something they went on a search for, Jesus' fundamental perception of the kingdom of God is something that whether you went looking for it or it just happened upon you, you can think of nothing better and you'll rearrange your entire life to be a part of it. So when these religious leaders portray that life in God is something that's so heavy and burdensome, it really upsets them. Now let's make some distinctions. Because Jesus' argument is that they've made this heavy. So in John chapter 6, Jesus upsets a large crowd. He begins to speak to the people of the Exodus about what their ancestors went through. He begins to talk to them about a larger Exodus to come, and it just kind of blows their minds. And in the same way that their ancestors grumbled, they begin to grumble. And so there's this whole thing going on with their past history, and, and he's essentially taking the thing that they know, and he's comparing it to something far beyond anything they can comprehend. It kind of blows their minds. They literally can't grasp the depth of what he's doing. And notice in verse 60, uh, John 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus is upset with the religious leaders because they have made the message heavy. But that's different than this, right? Because sometimes the reality of the kingdom of God is difficult. It is. How am I going to accept this? How am I going to do this? It's not heavy, but sometimes it may be hard. And then in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is dining with a woman named Martha who had a large business. You probably heard this story. Luke 10 verse 38 says, While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her, to give, tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha. And by the way, if, if Jesus repeats your name, you listen, because something's coming. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will, be not, it will not be taken from her. Jesus essentially saying, Martha, Martha, you're a little out of control. You're obsessing, right? Your compulsion has gotten the best of you. You're stressed and worried about things that aren't important. You've lost a sense of perspective. He confronts her. It's not heavy, but sometimes Jesus' message is hard, and sometimes his message is confrontive. How many of you, the voice of Christ has spoken into your life at points and essentially said, your, your, life is, your life's out of whack. You have your priorities wrong. That's, that's confronted, right? Luke chapter 5, verse 4. In the book of Luke, Jesus comes across his first disciples. And these are people who know the sea, they know fishing, and they've been fishing all night, and they haven't been able to catch anything. Luke 5, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, talking about Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into, the deep, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. 
Now remember, this is Simon who has a great deal of knowledge and authority about fishing. So apparently Jesus wants to speak to him in his realm of authority. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man. Simon comes face to face with the, the greatness of the kingdom of God on display through this person, Jesus. And it exposes him for all the ways that he's broken. All of his mistakes, all the ways in which he falls short. And his natural response is, get away from me. I don't, you don't understand. I don't even deserve to be near you. I'm a sinful man. The message of Jesus is not to be heavy, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it confronts, and sometimes it's deeply convicting. You come face to face with beauty, compassion, truth, your own frailty, your own brokenness, your own sin, and something within you says, I'm not worthy. Jesus is fired up with his religious leaders because they made the message heavy, but sometimes it is hard, and sometimes it is convicting, and sometimes it does confront. The reason why Jesus is upset is because what the gospel does is it takes weight off. It unburdens. It does not burden. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. And the writer here is not speaking about something that's going to happen someday if you're just good or Christian enough. Notice the tense of these statements. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This Jesus Christ is showing us what God is like in flesh and blood. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Christ you have been brought to fullness. Something core to your nature has changed. In this new reality of Christ, you have been brought to fullness. It keeps going. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by him in human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You've been raised from the dead. Then verse 13. When you were dead in your sin and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. What do all these things have in common? They're all announcements of things that have already been done. You were circumcised. You were raised with him. God made you alive. The message is not about beating you up for what you have or haven't done. The message is an announcement of what God has already done for you and I in Christ. It's not a flogging of all the ways in which you've screwed things up. It's an announcement and a proclamation about what God has done for us in Christ. You were, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were separated and distant, and now the fullness of the kingdom is yours. The gospel is not about getting beat up for all the ways in which you haven't gotten it right or all the ways in which you're doing it wrong or done it wrong. It's an announcement about what God has done right on your behalf. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the disciples, that would be pretty much us, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The message. Kingdom isn't about who you aren't. It's about who Christ is. And Christ is hope. If the message does not resound with hope, 
Jesus isn't in it. Because his message at its core is about hope. It's not about telling you who you aren't. It's about reminding you who Christ is and he's hope. This should deeply shape the way you see yourself. The fundamental central truth of the gospel are not announcements about what you haven't done, feeling terrible about who you aren't, and how you fall short and you're not good enough, because that's heavy. That's a burden. It's about the truth of what God has done. It isn't about who you failed to be. It's about who Christ has succeeded in being. This is so important. Now go to chapter 3 with me. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you're hidden in Christ, and God looks at you, who does God see? Not a trick question. If you're hidden in Christ, yes, and God looks at you, who does God see? Christ. See, these passages are not about being Christian enough or spiritual enough that you arrive at some destination. The insistence of these, these passages is that you, if you're a believer, you're already in Christ. It's an entire turning of your awareness that I am now here in Christ. When God looks at me, God sees Christ. This is the essence of this message of Jesus. It's not loading you down with, here are nine steps to get to the holy place. It's announcement that Christ is already there. And you can trust that in Christ, you're already there. It isn't seven ways in which you can be holy enough that God will say, well done, you made it. It's the announcement that Christ is already there and you are in Christ. It's not heavy. It's not a burden. The gospel takes weight off of us. And other times what happens is religion at its, its kind of its worst sort of forms becomes, well, if you could just achieve this, if you could just give this amount, if you could just volunteer this many hours, then God will smile. So essentially, the whole thing is its core is about making something happen, right? If you could just sing long enough, sing loud enough, memorize enough, give to those who have less than you enough, then you'll reach some sort of place. It's also not the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. The message is not you have to do the right thing so that something will happen. The message is about what has already happened. The old is gone, the new is here. Jesus is furious with these religious leaders because they have loaded people down with burdens. They have beaten people up. And as the American church becomes more marginalized, and all that comes with that, leaders become more fearful and therefore more controlling. This is what the Pharisees did. They let, they let out of fear and thus control. They actually had pretty good motives. If you read the book of Judges, you see this kind of constant cycle of the Israelites falling away from God, God sending a deliverer, a judge, a deliverer, who brings the nation back, and then it starts all over again, this constant cycle. The Pharisees did not want to see that happen anymore. So they clamped down and controlled people. Good motives, wrong execution. They burden people. How many of you heard before, like, people don't, people don't pray enough, they don't read their Bibles enough, they don't share their faith enough, they don't give enough, they don't take a stand? That's not helpful. 
know what that is? It's, it's loading people down. Gospel's not handing you a new set of ways to feel terrible about yourself as you walk out the door. It's Jesus saying, here, let me carry that. The gospel is announcing to you that what God has, keeps insisting has already been done in Christ. And at its core, the message of the kingdom of God, it starts with just an awareness. Jesus comes among people and he says, the kingdom of God, it's here, it's now, it's among you. Look for it. Look at those flowers, look at those birds, look at the tree, right? Have you noticed these things? It all begins with awareness. Are you aware that you've been blessed? Are you aware that the creator of the universe has lavished riches upon you? Are you aware that you're hidden in Christ? Your worth, your value, your significance no longer comes from what you earn, how thin you are, how pretty you are, how successful you are, how well you do. Your worth is already established in the eyes of God. You're in Christ. Relax. The message is a growing sense of awareness of just who Christ is and what this reality is in the kingdom of God. Where we are loved just because we are. It begins with awareness. It begins with our growing awareness of what it means that the earth is God's and everything in it. It's our awareness that we are right now in the presence of God. God never leaves us or forsakes us. It's our awareness of the cross the, and Christ's body broken and blood poured out so that we might live. The message begins with our awareness of not what you have to do to earn God's favor, not what you have to do to make it happen, but what's already happened and what God has already done. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace, the Greek word charis means gift. For it's by the gift, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's all a gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It's almost like the writer says, like, it's, everything's a gift. You woke up, the sun was shining, it's a gift. You, you had an interaction with somebody and you connected with them, that's a gift. You came across a great piece of art, and it kind of put into pictures, put into words what you can't describe, right? And somehow this piece of art, it struck you, that's a gift. You worked hard, and your hands are dirty, and there's grease under your fingernails, and you're sweaty and tired, and you thought, man, I got a lot done today. Gift. You've been saved by grace. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it goes on, for we are God's handiwork. It's the Greek word poemo where we get the word poem. You're God's poem. I don't know if you know this, but when somebody says you're a piece of work, that's like a theologically solid statement. <laughs> you're a piece of work. You're a piece of work created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And this is a reference to the Hebrew tradition of the mitzvah, which are, which are the commands. And the commands were, never forget the widow, the orphan, the stranger among you. And then when you reap the harvest, you kind of leave the corners for those who are poor to do good deeds, to help and repair and restore the world that's in trouble, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's artwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What's the grace of God? It's a gift that heals and repairs us. It's a gift of Christ. It's a gift of eternal life here and now. It's a gift of forgiveness. It's a gift of new life and redemption and new creation. You've been given new life. You're forgiven. You're all set. Now, 
Let's go and extend that gift. That grace to others. Put flesh and blood on the grace and the gift that you have received. And so our awareness of just what God has done for us, it leads us to action. But what can easily happen is we go out and in the process of that action, it's tiring, it's hard. Perhaps we start to think that that somehow this is all about us. Look how great we are. Look at all I'm doing for God. Sometimes our action not only can be exhausting, but it can kind of pull us in different sorts of directions. Does God love me for doing these good deeds? And so sometimes our action leads us back to our awareness that it's a gift. And we need to be reminded that everything's been done. We're okay as we are. We need a Sabbath rest for the soul where the words of the Creator are spoken to us. You're okay. You're in Christ. It's all taken care of. There's no need to perform, to compete, to show everybody, to boast, to make sure you're better, thinner, smarter, whatever. It's okay. You're hidden in Christ. The hope of glory resides in you. Sometimes we need to come back to awareness. Other times we need a swift boot in the back of the trousers we need somebody to say, okay, let's get, it. let's get on with it. There's work to be done. There's a hurting world out, world out there. Let's do something about it. Let's get in the game. This is kind of the natural flow of the life of the disciple. The endless flow between our growing awareness of the fact that the work's already been done, and then the yes, I've been given resources, energy, wealth, experience, talent, passion, and God has prepared in advance those works for me to do. But we always know this isn't how you get God to love you. This isn't how a church proves they've got it going on. This is the natural response to the gift. And if at any point that becomes fuzzy, where do we need to go? Back to awareness. To sit, reflect, to be reminded. This is the natural flow of a disciple of Jesus. There's no like formula for discipleship. We love formulas. Right now at this time in history, we are just consumed by pragmatism. When you go to Sparkle Market tomorrow and read the covers on the magazines, I don't care what kind of magazine it is, fishing, fitness magazine, cooking, whatever, I promise that on the cover you'll read something like 10 ways to flatten your belly, 20 ways to catch a bigger fish, right? Eight ways to make your meatloaf shine. I don't know. I'll read cooking magazine. We live at a time in history where most people would rather say, I'll just tell you what I want, and you tell me the steps to get there, rather than taking the time to really learn and flow in the grace of discipleship. So this is going to look different for everybody. You can't put a formula on it. A single mom with a bunch of kids who's buried in responsibilities at home, just trying to keep the kids you know, off the roof, clothed, fed, whatever... She's not going to have endless energy to give to the needy. People are at different places. Wherever you are, God just invites you to ask, what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? In Psalm 95, the writer just says, today, if you hear his voice. The only thing God has ever asked for us is today. What's the next right thing for this mom? Maybe it's to get a shower. It might be like, if I can get through this day without pulling out my hair or theirs, it'll be a home run, right? Maybe you're dealing with destructive impulses to cut. 
to take more of the prescription than you know you should? To end it all? Maybe the only thing God is inviting you today to do is just to get through today. And then tomorrow, we'll worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. His grace is new tomorrow. The only thing God ever invites us into is today. So awareness today. Perhaps you have resources, time, energy. Maybe you're retired and you have a lifetime of wisdom. I know the world has said, you worked hard and I'll do nothing for the rest of your days. I say the kingdom of God could use you. So maybe for you, the next right thing is not, let's just get through today. Maybe for you, you have significant resources, time, energy, ability, passion, and you're squandering it. You're burying it, and you know it. And so the message, while it's never heavy, it can be confrontational. Come on. There are people at this church and a whole city out there that needs what you have to offer. Let's go. The beautiful message of the kingdom of God that Jesus announces is not heavy. It's not a weight that we're handed. Jesus is interested in taking off burdens so that we'd be free. Free to be growing in our awareness of who we are and what's been done. And then free to act in ways that will, will set us free from the things that we're attached to. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we just, we just give you space. God, for those who have come today feeling beat up, feeling not good enough, feeling like failures, feeling like their mistakes are going to follow them around. Please send them the free, life-giving, burden-lifting message of the kingdom of God, your kingdom. God, we just reject as a community any understanding or interpretation that merely pile on guilt and shame. We don't want any part in a message like that. We want the pure, clean, life-giving message. God, for those who are here today just absolutely overwhelmed with negativity, not thin enough, pretty enough, wealthy enough, successful enough, smart enough, please rescue us from all of the, the value systems that have robbed us of freedom and joy. And God, as we move from awareness to action, God, for those who are on the edges, the sidelines, who it's time for a risk, it's time for a challenge, it's time to leap, and they continue to be safe, please rescue us from a vision of the world that is first and foremost about safety and security. As we understand that your kingdom is moving, advancing, progressing, and we want in, God, please rescue us from any understanding other than pure gratitude that comes from the gift of grace. God, we ask that you now just take, these, take off these heavy, cumbersome burdens off our shoulders. We thank you that your kingdom is a treasure. It's a, it's a pearl, something we want more than anything. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. amen.